Well, uh, thank you. Uh, this is a real exciting weekend uh, for me personally. Uh, we have some very, very special guests, uh, Susie and I, uh, with us for this weekend. Uh, Buford and Ann Lipscomb, some of you may remember uh, a year ago, uh, Buford and Ann's son Josh and his wife Kristen were with us, and uh, it's just because we just couldn't get Buford and Ann here, but we got them here uh, for this weekend uh, for sure. Uh, they're dear friends of ours going back uh, a few years, kind of interesting Saturday, May 20th will be 27 years since I was ordained as a pastor here at Valley Christian Church, so my 27th anniversary. Uh, Buford was one of my professors in college, and actually, I know he doesn't look like he's that old, uh, but, but actually taught my church administration class where he taught me how to marry the wed and bury the dead, and uh, that's really important, uh, and I've been able to officiate a lot of weddings through the years, and the, the dead part, hopefully you don't see me do that for you uh, or anything like that, but uh, Buford has been in ministry for over 35 years. Uh, and he is the senior pastor at Liberty Church. That is actually a different location now, but the church where Susie and I were married uh, back in uh, 1990. And he is also the international director uh, for an incredible ministry that's called Adopt a Child. And he's going to be speaking a little bit about that. This is our Compassion Month. Uh, we're doing Souls for Souls, and this is where we really highlight opportunities uh, as a church where we can show compassion. He's going to be talking a little bit about that. And really, we're going to show a quick video by way of introduction of just the scope and the gravity and the magnitude of this incredible ministry that he is also not only senior pastor of Liberty Church in Pensacola, Florida. I think they have about 8,000 people now in their church in five or six different locations, but also the international director of Adopted Child. So it's perfect timing for them to be with us during this month of May, our month of compassion here. Make sure you pull out your Valley Christian Church app. You'll be able to follow along with the message, but in terms of kind of introducing what Adopt a Child is all about, uh, let's go ahead and, and go right into that bumper and give you a little bit better idea. And then at the end of it, would you just welcome up uh, my dear friend, Buford Lipscomb. Adopt a Child is the child sponsorship ministry of Living Water International with outreach centers in Guatemala and Albania. We're operating right now in Guatemala, here in Central America and Albania. We operate nine feeding programs here in Guatemala, three medical clinics, three dental clinics, and we teach the children basic Bible classes, and from within those groups, we try to attract disciples to teach them more. We're currently serving over 50,000 hot meals a month. We have around 8,500 children that are frequenting our programs on a regular basis. But we have around 3,000 uh, plus children uh, at any given time that do not have sponsors. It's an enormous task that requires uh, an enormous staff, uh, approximately 100 full-time staff. And we augment that with a significant number of volunteers and part-time workers. Those are the people that are making the tortillas. Those are the people that are cooking our food. Those are the people that are transporting our food. And those are the people that are praying, keeping order, and ministering, actually doing the ministry in the feeding programs. There are four feeding centers in Albania, spread out across four different villages. We have about 900 children signed up for the program. Hospitality is extreme in Albania, and the people are just so incredibly hospitable. You meet somebody, and after a few minute conversation, they're inviting you into their home to come and drink a coffee. And coming to drink a coffee is really not coming to drink a coffee, it's coming to have a conversation. So for us in Living Water, the home visits are really important. It's just good times of getting to know the families, getting to know the children, uh, and it also it serves as a great tool, a great way to establish relationships with people so we can present Christ to them. One of my biggest passions is to see us raise up Christ Church. When I think about feeding programs, 
My heart is moved as I see hungry children come to the table. We are working with all of our energy and all of His energy to raise up spiritual sons and daughters that will take their place and that will continue to grow Christ's church long after living water has fulfilled our role. Christian Valley Church. It is awesome to be here with you guys. It really is. Now you'll get used to my accent here in a little while, uh, I'm sure. I'm trying to get used to yours. Uh, with a name like Buford, I don't come out of the South too much. Uh, you understand that. But uh, down in the South, in the Bible Belt, where Greg and I come from, and I still live, we have a good time at church. And so we, 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 you know, we believe this is a celebration time, not a religious event, but a time to really mix it up with Jesus. So how many are really ready to worship to, tonight and enjoy his presence? And we're, we're really excited that you're here. Now, it is, a, it is just a thrill to be here with Greg and Susie Williamson. There's some of... They're really some of our Bible college heroes. They're legends in their own time in Pensacola, Florida, where they uh, went to school and uh, 27 years. I tell you, I can't believe that. You know, that, that's really a mark of a great pastor this day and time. And, and still to be as young as he is and good looking as he is, I'm very impressed. And I know you are here. And, uh, but we are extremely proud of these guys. And, not only what they've done here uh, in the Hudson Valley of New York State, but his influence around the nation and nations throughout the world. Do you realize how blessed you are to have this pastor? Caliber, of he and his wife, awesome team, awesome team. And, uh, and, and we're, we're just, again, really thrilled to be here with you. And uh, I really feel like God's given me a special word for you tonight. And, uh, uh, and, and I look forward to it going forth across the internet and in Poughkeepsie and uh, on this, this Sunday. Uh, you have to understand, I grew up in Georgia and uh, New York, you know, we have this image that it's just like an asphalt state. You know, it's like New York City is the whole state. And I'm telling you, you guys live in a beautiful area here. It is gorgeous here, and we're from Florida now, and so it's warmer here today than it is where I live in Florida. I, what is that about? You know, I, I, I'm not sure about that, but, but uh, you sure live in a beautiful place. I, I want to not only share a word with you tonight that I believe God's given us, but I want to leave something hopefully with you. I really do. I, I've been pastoring and preaching for a long, long time, longer than I'd like to talk about, honestly. But in uh, pastors and messages and sermons come and go. And what we really need is we need impartation from the Word. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. Do you understand that? The only, only the Holy Spirit can open our hearts and open our minds and our spirits to really be. How many really want to hear from God tonight? Come on. Uh, today. And. and uh, that's what we need. And I want to share this word that I believe is just an incredibly important word uh, for us today. I believe it's a message with some of the greatest urgency and importance for each one of us on many levels of our lives. I really do. A biblical matter, theologically, I think, that is underestimated and not understood in terms of the immensity of its value in our spiritual lives as well as our lives as a whole. I really believe this. Uh, a matter that on the surface you would say, oh, that's what he's going to talk about. Uh, you know, I know about that. Uh, I believe that. But believe me, uh, here today, I, I want you to hear this message uh, because 
I believe this message has the capacity to revolutionize your life. I really do. I really do. Uh, and, and this is, it has the capacity as we get through it that would enable us, that can cause us to move in that which seems impossible, to be given wings to be made impossible. Made possible. How many have some things in your life that are impossibilities? that you really need to see God make, it, make them possible. Of course, you see it on the screen. What I want to talk to you about is hope. Hope. You know, you can't go through a day without hearing or reading something about this work. Uh, you know, we'll say things like, well, I hope it uh, gets cooler tomorrow. Uh, I, you know, I hope I can get to work on time. I hope my boss is not too hard on me. I hope the Yankees keep winning. Uh, that's the best amen I've got so far. Uh, I hope I can get this project done. I sure hope the check arrives tomorrow. But this is not the kind of hope I want to talk to you about today. I want you to grasp the power and the preciousness, if you will, uh, the importance of Bible hope, of what I call real hope, and uh, transformed hope. Not a hope that is based in or upon what you feel right now. Uh, a hope not based on what you have or don't have. A hope that's, in fact, not based on anything around us in this life. Real hope. Would you say that word with me? Real hope? Out loud, real hope. This hope can change your life. And it can change the life of a nation. It really can. John Hurston was a missionary, he and Maxine, in many countries throughout the world. And after the Korean War, he and Maxine were Assembly of God missionaries that were dispatched to Seoul, Korea. And they went there right at the end of the war and they started a church under an old, and they were in their 20s, under an old military tent. And they hired a young man to be their 19-year-old translator by the name of, of Yonggi Cho, uh, who some of you have heard of Dr. Cho, who would go on to build the largest church in the world, probably in the history since the New Testament days. It's not a 10-year-old translator. John would later go on and turn the church over to, to uh, Dr. Cho and go on to Africa and then return later as his co-pastor. And they co-pastored for many years until he retired, he and Maxine, back to Pensacola. He would become the spiritual father to Dr. Cho. Uh, and, and it was my charge, I agreed as they got older to do their funeral. And I did John's funeral and Dr. Cho was to come to Pensacola to participate in the funeral, but uh, this is a few years ago, and he'd come down with Parkinson's, and he sent a video, but he also dispatched his younger brother, Andrew, Andrew Cho, to come and speak with me uh, at the passing of John Hurston there in Pensacola. And I was stunned by something that Andy Cho said. When he got up to speak over this American missionary, he said, I was a small child at the end of the Korean War. Our nation was devastated. Uh, he said, we had no uh, Christian history in our nation whatsoever. And he said, and I'm thankful today to America for sending American missionaries to my nation at the end of the war. And one of the most significant ones was this man here, John Hurston. And, and, and of course, he said, now in one generation, missionaries have brought the gospel into South Korea. He said, in one generation, we have become the second strongest Christianized nation in the world to the United States. He said, in our nation, in one generation, we, have, we, have, we are a country of churches four out of the largest denominations in the world we have the largest churches in those denominations in one generation. He went on through citing various statistics. In one generation, he said our nation was transformed to the eighth 
uh, eighth in the world economic power as a nation. In just 40 years at that time, he said. He said it was the gospel of Jesus Christ brought to our nation that gave my country hope like they'd never had before. And now we are the second most Christianized nation in one generation. I was stunned by that. But that tells us of the power. See, people are not looking for more religion today. They're looking for hope. But they're not looking for hope as the world knows it or understands it. But they're looking for real hope. Hope that can change a nation. How many believe our nation could use a little hope today? A hope that can transform nations. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, and you've heard it many times before, I'd call your attention, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you, and say it with me, hope. Plans to give you hope and a future. Hope has a lot to do with the future. And God has a plan for every one of our futures. And it has a whole lot to do with hope. That's what I want to talk to you about. In Ephesians 1, this is that amazing portion where the Apostle Paul prays for the church at Ephesus that something really supernatural would happen in them. That the Holy Spirit would open their eyes, that they could see something, that they could grasp something. And that's my prayer for us here tonight. Notice his prayer. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened in order that you may know, the, say it with me, know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. It's all about realizing and the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to realize the real hope that we have in Christ. So I want, that's my prayer and that's the aim of my message tonight, that through the word of God, the Holy Spirit will begin to open our eyes here in other places and those that will watch us online in this message that are eyes of uh, realization, revelation of, of, of the hope that God has given us, real hope. So number one, real hope in God is based on absolute truth. Real hope is based in absolute truth. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, therefore, in, in Bible college we were all taught when you read, therefore you look to see what it's there for. And it's, there's something important that he's saying here. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So through our redemption in Christ, we have been brought into a great hope. We really have. You see, God has always represented himself in hope. God specializes in making something out of nothing, doesn't he? I mean, he spoke and the world was created. In my life, he spoke and, and caused something in my life to be made where there was nothing before. It, 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 that's the kind of hope. God specializes. And we can go back through the Old Testament. We can talk about the hope of the Old Testament and Judaism and the one God and, uh, and the cry, uh, the difference that made. And the hope of Israel was a messianic hope that there was com one coming that would deliver Israel. And in two chapters after Jeremiah 29 that I read to you a minute, a minute ago in chapter 31, the Lord through the prophet there makes a, a promise of hope to them. 
he promises them that they will, would be delivered as a nation. It says, your children will return to their own land. And then he goes on in the same chapter, just a few verses down, he, he speaks out to, the, to, to Israel about even something of greater importance to them than that. And to all of us in the human race, God will promise through Jeremiah that there's coming a momentous new relationship with God. Nothing less than a new covenant, he says, with the house of Israel and Judah. And, and under this new covenant, God tells Israel through Jeremiah, I'll put my law in their hearts and their mind, I'll write it in their hearts, I will be their God and they will be my people. He was, he was of course, prophesying and speaking of the coming messianic period uh, where their sins would be forgiven independent of their performance under the law. Wow. What would become known as a time of grace? That time where he says, in that day they that will call upon the Lord shall be saved. It wouldn't be about keeping a tablet of commandments. It would be about faith. So in Jeremiah 17, 13, he says, you are the hope of Israel. And uh, and this is where he says, I'll write the commandments on your heart. And he would go on to say, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. And the King James, yet will I trust in him. So Jesus, the Messiah, came to be that messianic hope. And the hope of Israel was fulfilled. The Son of God, perfect in every way, sinless, God required one that was perfect to pay the price for each one of us, for us to enter into this new covenant with him. Jesus would hang on the cross in my place and in your place. His blood would stream down and he died and was buried on, in, the, in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, God would shout, amen, it is finished it is done, and he would raise from the dead the resurrected Christ, vanquishing hell and death itself forevermore. Aren't you glad for that today? Giving us the basis of hope, the absolute truth that no other religion has ever claimed outside of Christianity. Absolute truth. It doesn't matter that the intellectualized Bible scholars of the day sit back in their easy chairs and smoke their cigars and declare, oh, God is dead. Oh, no. We have a hope today, folks, that this world doesn't have. We have a hope in Christ that this world didn't give us. We have a hope that God gives us. Gives us. Romans 12, 12 says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. So he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. So today, our hope is the hope of Christ. Now this word hope the common Greek word for hope is used some 85 times. In the classical Greek, it's just a common word used by the Greeks. Uh, it was kind of a, a, a neutral idea. It was an empty word. It's again kind of like wishful thinking. I hope this would happen. I hope that might happen. I wish it would happen. Uh, uh, the, but then when Jesus Christ came, that word itself, hope, took on a whole different form. It's really interesting. And it, and it revolutionized the whole concept of hope. And uh, the revolutionary nature of New Testament hope is, is the power uh, to change the way we as ordinary people can live our lives. And Paul would describe this hope, this real hope, this Bible hope, is an anchor for the soul, the hope of our salvation. And, and one writer, this, this new word in the New Testament, that uh, in the Greek, one says it means a vigorous looking forward to, a sense of warm, excited anticipation. 
quite different from the common word of hope that we understand today and the common Greek did that day. And in Galatians 5, verse 5, Paul illustrates it. He says, but by faith we eagerly await, though through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. That word eagerly, eagerly await is the same Greek word for hope. So there's an eagerness. Are y'all still with me? The same word. So real hope that we're gonna get a hold of tonight, today is the hope that Christ gives us and it's based in absolute truth. And secondly, real hope is invisible. It's an invisible hope. Romans 8, 24 says, but for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what all he already has? Wow. You see today, people want to see what they hope in. They want to hold in their hands what they hope in. They want to hope in a person or a relationship, a bank account balance, or an education, or a, a house, a vehicle. But true hope, real hope, folks, is invisible. It cannot be seen. It's in the heart. It really is. Hebrews 6.18 says, hope to us believers is the anchor of our soul. Wow. Do we not need an anchor for our soul today? That thing that holds us steady when the storms rage, when life's up and down, and when everything that can be shaken is being shaken so that 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 cannot be shaken shall remain. It's that kind of hope that holds us steady. How many can use some of that kind of hope? This is hope that changes nations, but this is a hope that changes the future of individuals. It really does. I had an experience about 15 years ago in Alabama where I walked a man to the electric chair, to the Alabama electric chair. He was a convicted murderer, and he was. Uh, and he had done it, he had confessed. But he had also got, he'd gotten saved, he'd come to the Lord while in prison and I became his pastor. I appeared before the governor asking for clemency, that he give clemency instead of the electric chair that, because he had actually uh, had a ministry in death row there in Alabama that was very significant. Uh, and. Uh, and, and had newsletters that went across America. He did not ask for clemency. He was ready to be put to death and go to heaven. I asked for clemency that he could continue on. It didn't happen. And the night came and I spent four hours with him as they prepared him next to the electric chair. And I watched as I shaved his head and shaved his legs and and as he shook the hand of every guard that stood there, death row, where he'd been for 12 years, and thanked them individually for serving him as they had. With tears and these big, broly, I mean, Alabama death row guards are not, they're not boys, they're something else. And tears in their eyes. And uh, we sat there for four hours until it came the time for us to move to the electric chair room and we locked our eyes. I said, keep your eyes on me. And, and honestly, he had more hope than I did in that. He, his final words were he wanted to pray for me and some others that would go through this process with him. He was more concerned about us in that moment than he was for himself. And he was electrocuted. But he knew he had a hope that was real. He had a hope that wasn't based in a clemency from a governor. He had a hope that there was something bigger and better on the other side. I mean, no, there's nothing in this world that can give you that kind of hope. Only God could give you that kind of hope. And that's the kind of hope that the Bible is talking about. Verse 18 here in 
in Romans 6 says, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. We have fled our refuge to lay hold upon, notice that word again, say it with me, hope set before. We have fled our refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. How many glad there's a refuge in God? There's a hope in him we don't have anywhere else. It's an invisible hope. A a fortress that when our hope is in him, we find comfort, we find consolation, we find courage in life. Verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. How many agree we need an anchor in this world today? How many are glad for an anchor? of the soul that we have in the hope of God. That as believers, we remain safe. We remain secure. Wow. We remain strong because there's a life in Christ, a refuge that we can run into and be protected. We can have courage. We can live at peace regardless, even when facing death itself. That is the power of real hope. That is the preciousness of the hope that we should have in all of our lives. This holding a steady force, that's what an anchor does. It holds steady. It holds us in place. And and when life seems to crumble around us, when it crumbles beneath our feet, when what we've held on to collapses, institutions that have held strong in our world for generations are crumbling today and people have put their hopes in. Wow. But what we have hold on to is not worldly institutions or American. He says, whatever happens, yet I will hope in the Lord. Jesus is our hope. He is the anchor of our soul. And am I glad that anchor holds? A lot of anchors don't hold, but Jesus as the anchor of our soul will hold us. Our hope is an invisible hope. Our hope cannot be in somebody. Our hope, it, it will never be found. People, as much as they may love you, they're gonna let you down somewhere along the way. They're always gonna disappoint you. Bank accounts, they're gonna go up and down. Nothing to hold on to there. Money cannot buy you hope. I I know a lot of, I know several extremely wealthy people and they would be some of the quickest to tell you that money can do a lot of things and it can purchase a lot of things, but it it can't buy you hope. It can't buy you peace. It can't can't take you beyond the words of medicine and medical men, regardless of how much money you've got. Are y'all hearing me? There's no peace like this found in any hope that a man can manufacture. I'm talking about this invisible hope. Our hope is in the God hope, this precious thing. So, My charge, number three, is hold on to this hope. Hold on to hope. There is a tremendous attempt and attack to remove from you this quality of hope that we have in Christ. And and we'll see as we unpack this more in a minute why it's that way. This is the heart of the spiritual battle. It really is. To rob you of hope to keep you where you are with what you have. See, this is an incredibly important commodity and that's what I want you to see. Proverbs 13, 12, familiar verse to many of you, hope deferred maketh the heart sick, the King James says, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. When you hope and hope and hope and hope and nothing happens, you become discouraged, even depressed, and it makes the heart sick. Anybody ever been there before? All of us have. 
and were warned about this. Jesus said to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in the Father, believe also in me. You see, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And we have the power in our willful choice to hold on to hope and not let go. I love Abraham. Abraham, in Romans it says, he hoped against hope when there was the promise that he and Sarah would have a child, a promise when they were far beyond childbearing years. It says when there was no natural basis to hope in, he hoped anyway. That's real hope. When it doesn't make sense up here and you can't see it out there, Abraham hoped against hope. And there's some areas and some matters in some of our lives that we need to go beyond what we feel, what we don't see, what we see, and just hope against hope. Put our hope in the hope that is God. I mean, some of us have had the rug pulled out from under us. I mean, all of your dreams, all of your expectations, all of your desires just up in smoke or just come crashing down. Enormously disappointed and disillusionment, really. And, uh, uh, and we've waited and waited. And this is one of the greatest attacks, I believe, upon God's people today is to strip us of our hope, to strip us of this priority and tremendous value of hope in our lives. If things in this life, in this world, give you hope, they can be taken from you. And you're going to live in a sense that I've been shortchanged in my life. You're going to be sick at heart because life is just tenuous. It's up and it's down. It's got to be in our side of hearts. Hebrews 10.25, and I want to say this to you, the church. This is a call. The church is the place of hope. The world around us today, here as it is where I live, again, is not looking for religion, more religion. They're looking for hope. And the church is the centerpiece, I believe. The body of Christ is the, is the lighthouse of dispensing this hope. Hebrews 10, 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the man some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. A sick heart is a discouraged heart. And today, it's easy to get discouraged. And the point of the enemy is not to just get you discouraged, but to rob you of this hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So I want to give you just a few biblical ideas of how to build hope, how hope grows. Romans 15, verse 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. How many want to grow and learn about learning your hope? It goes on to say that we through patience and comfort, literally this word comfort is courage, and of the scriptures might have, say it with me, hope, come on, hope, that we through patience and courage of the scriptures might have hope. So how do we get hope? We get hope through the word, as we've been going over. We get hope through patience. Hope is produced in our lives. Psalm 119.74, David says, I have hoped in the word. The word will give you hope, won't it? It really will. Romans uh, 15, verse 6, it says, My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in the word. The word builds hope. Then he goes on to say another way is patience. A better word there is probably perseverance. Perseverance brings hope. Romans 5, 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in trials also knowing that tribulations and trials worketh perseverance. 
perseverance, experience, and experience hope. Wow. It comes out of the struggle. Now, I'm a little older than a lot of you, and I've been around, uh, you know, the track a few times. And uh, I can, and can go back, and, and, and at the time, maybe I, I just couldn't say, what, since what in the world are you doing, God, here in this matter? And I didn't understand, and I didn't like it, and I didn't want to be in that place, but as I remained faithful in him, you know, after a while, how many are glad God works all things out together for good, that love him, uh, and are called according to his purpose, and uh, you see that it's going to work out. You don't understand how it will, or how it even can sometimes, but as we just continue to hope in the Lord, and not in our abilities or somebody else's. You know, God works it out. How many of you found that in your life? That perseverance produces hope. And now I have a, a lot of hope in my life because I've had a lot of experiences at this age, you know? And uh, it's really, to, and it says, I love this, and hope maketh not ashamed. When you begin to realize you see, shame will make you feel like, well, who am I to hope God's gonna do something in my life or for me because I, I have failed, I have a spotted past at best and I'm just not worthy uh, of God doing something or being something to me. But when this hope grows in our lives, we begin to see, hey, God loves me. God loves me right where I am and who I am. So if God can love this mess of a man like me, wow, maybe there is something to him. Maybe I don't have to live in shame and sense of unworthiness. Maybe I can hope. And I keep building, and like Abraham, when there's nothing to, build, to base my hope in, I just go ahead and keep hoping. And I hope and I hope and I hope. Are y'all with me? And hope maketh not, it builds us up. And all of a sudden, when things happen, they don't, they don't discourage us anymore because we've been around the track a few times and we began to realize, hey, you know, I've learned, I've been down that, I've been through that loop in the wilderness. I don't have to go through that loop again. I know what it means. I can trust God and I can have hope for my future. I can believe that he has a plan for my life, even though I can't see it and sometimes I, I don't feel worthy, but in my life, I have hope that, that, that I have an anchor in my soul that the chain of that anchor is hooked into him over in the invisible side of heaven. How many are glad for that today? And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in him, there's not even the shadow of turning, the Bible said. He's the same. And that's where our anchor is hooked into. No more condemnation. Shame will rob you of your hope. I don't deserve it. I'm a mess. I come from a long line of messes. I have failed, all those kind of things. But when our heart abounds in hope, wow, uh, and, and, and it's really the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. The Holy Spirit reminds us that God loves us. And if God loves us, we can have hope. Psalm 71, 5 says, Thou, thou art my hope, O Lord my God. Thou art my hope. Thou art my trust from my youth. I will hope continually. I will praise you more and more. Praise and worship Builds hope in your life. How many feel a little more hope when you get to praising God and worship? It really happens that way. So we as God's people must become more and more and more people of hope. People of hope. And Jesus is the hope of the world and we as the body of Christ, Jesus, we should be those representing hope. Number five, and I'm gonna wind up right here. Some of you will be glad. Our hope is based in absolute truth, unshakable truth. This hope I'm speaking to you about, real hope, is an invisible hope. It's an invisible hope. And you have to 
hold on to this hope because everything in you and around you will try to rob you of that hope. And here in the last point I want you to see is this is why the attack is so fierce sometimes. And that is hope produces faith. Hope produces faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, you're familiar with that great definition. This is how faith works. Faith is the substance of things, say it with me, hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So can I submit to you today? I don't believe the problem is our faith. The Bible says God gives every man a measure of faith. And I believe if you believe in God, <laughs> you pretty much believe God can do anything if he's God. That's what God does. The problem with us is not whether he can do it. The real problem is, will he do it? Can we, will we dare to believe or to hope that he will do it? And that's where if the devil can rob us of hope, notice what's happened. He's taken our faith from us. And that's why hope is so important and so precious because it's not as much a matter of faith in my understanding of scripture as it is hope. That hope that God puts in our heart is what frames our faith to believe in. It is the evidence of things unseen. The hope, hope is an invisible matter of the heart. How many believe God can do anything? That all things are possible to God. We really all believe that. But the challenge is, could we, would we, do we really dare to hope he will? Well, in man-made manufactured hope, we won't believe it. Doesn't make sense, it's ridiculous. But in real hope, the hope that God gives us, that anchor of the soul, that refuge, that invisible matter, we can believe it. We really can. So with hope, I want you to understand there is a close relationship between hope and faith. You can never move them too far apart from each other. I've learned this over the years as I've pastored and worked with a lot of pastors and a lot of people in a lot of places. If this world, let me tell you, the hope I have in Christ, this world can't take it from me because this world didn't give it to me. And that needs to be the cry of our hearts. And so I can dare to believe God that when he says we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, I believe he can do it. And I believe he will do it because that's our hope. My prayer for you again and my message to you today is the prayer of, of, of Paul to the Ephesians church. There's a great theological treatise in Ephesians that the apostle Paul gives to the church that we learn a lot from. But at the heart of what he has to say there, it's not just about believing. It's about having our eyes of understanding open. Wow. And that's why I present, tried to present this word to you today in a simplified, easy to grasp way so that you can pray. And I'm gonna pray for you here in a minute that what you've heard today will change your future. God has a plan for you to prosper you and not to harm you. God has a plan of hope for you, for your future. It springs out of hope. How many are ready to hope again? How many are really ready to apply real hope? Not man-made hope, but hope that's from God. I want to pray for you. As you've heard this word, my prayer before I even preached it was it would just kind of settle into your spirits and that it'd give you something to take hold of and to take home with you. That it will be an impartation and it will be impacted. Would you bow your heads with me? Pastor Stephen's going to come in a moment. Paul prayed this and I pray it too. I pray that the eyes of your heart, not your intelligence or your mind, 
but the eyes of your heart will be opened in order that you may know know to which he's called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us to believe thank you Lord for that hope thank you for a hope that never fades in this world things that we hope in from this world get old and fade but Lord our hope is in you who never changes your word is established it's the same yesterday today and forever and I pray Holy Spirit that you would anoint the eyes the hearts and the ears of these that will hear this word that in their lives they will spring forth a hope that will build a faith upon that will frame and shape a future that you have designed for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Could I say a quick word? The film was shown in the beginning about adopted child. And I wanna invite you to support one of our children in Albania, Guatemala. Two years ago, the international director, dear friend of mine, Ron Kelly, missionary for 25 years, passed away suddenly and I had to step in as the acting director. We feed 8,000 children a week in Guatemala seven or nine churches seven of our we've been doing this for 35 years seven of the churches are pastored by children that were we fed many years ago that got saved and grew up and are now the pastors we work in albania poorest nation in europe hardcore muslim the only muslim nation in europe poor 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 and our children are hungry and it's a muslim country and Feeding the children opens the homes and the hearts for them and we visit their homes and you saw our film and we're debating a Muslim there in the meeting we're in. and We have two churches now in the Muslim communities of Albania. $30 a month feeds one of these children in Guatemala. We bring hope in the practical to children and to families around the world. And I have a lot of responsibilities, uh, but when Ron passed away suddenly, I could not see this ministry decline and these children that's been fed for 30-something years uh, on a, thousands of them uh, week in, week out, not continue to be fed. So I just implore you to, to help us. This is a great compassion ministry and uh, we have more than 3,000 children that we're feeding that are not sponsored now. And so thank you for the opportunity to be with you guys. I feel like I'm home, feel family with you guys. I hope the Word of God has enriched and will enrich your life and home in the future. God bless you. Love you guys.